How many of you grew up in church? Yep. How many of you didn't start going to church until later in life? Yeah. How many of you were dragged to church as a kid? You didn't want to go, but you had to go because that's, <laughs> wow, wow. She said, put your hands down. Your dad, put your hands down. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Um, how, how many of you didn't necessarily enjoy the church that your, maybe your parents dragged you to? Um, and let's just call it what it is. Maybe there was a lot of drama inside the church. And you're just like, I'm not about that. And you thought these church people are no different than everybody else. Yeah, I see hands. I see nods. Okay. Um, the Apostle Paul said to Timothy, another guy in the Bible, actually in the book of First Timothy, which is another book in the Bible, the church is the ground or the pillar of truth, which what that means is it is the responsibility of the believer to bear the responsibility of holding up the truth of the gospel. Are you following me so far? We're just uh, 30 seconds into this. But whenever you look at today's church, it can be a little messy. Some things are just flat out, let me say it this way, screwed up. When you look at the church as a general, you see denominations allowing different things to take place that... that should not be allowed to take place. You see fights and quarrels, you see arguments, you see all sorts of matters going on. And in the grand scheme of things, they don't matter at all. They're majoring on the minors. I don't know if you've ever been a part of a church that had a deacon board or anything like that, where they had to vote for everything. Yeah, and it got kind of territorial fighting, you got you, you saw a lot of nonsense, or maybe, maybe you went to a church and you sat in somebody's seat, and you come to find out that's Margaret's seat, and if you sit in Margaret's seat, she's going to let you know that that's Margaret's seat, and you're not allowed to sit in Margaret's seat, because she's been sitting in that seat for 37 years, and you're not about to sit in her seat, maybe in a church like that. Maybe you've been to a church that just kind of overemphasized things that just really didn't matter and they made you feel so guilty that you're just like, man, I can't even live up to what God has called me to do because there's all these rules and regulations and religion that sits here and says, you gotta be this, 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 and if you don't do this, and all this stuff happens. And we get these preconceived, these, these ideas of what church is and really that's not what church was created to look like at all. And what happens is, whenever you get people involved in the church, people mess up a good thing. (laughs) Okay. People get offended over the dumbest things possible. True story. I was with a gentleman two weeks ago. He told me, I quit going to a church because I heard the pastor say there was a guitar player wearing a, a, what was that shirt? A Led Zeppelin shirt and the pastor mentioned it, and basically the pastor called him out, and I wouldn't go to church I've ever been called out in. I said, so you left the church over that? He said, yeah. I said, well, you did that church a favor. Thank you for leaving that church, because if you're going to get offended over something so stupid, the issue is you, not the church. 
And then what we have to look at is the reality of what truth is. The ministry of a church is the ministry of people. And anytime you have people, you have a mess. Anytime you have people involved, there is going to be a mess. But that is not how the church was originally designed and what was called to function at. And we want to look at today in the book of Philippians what Paul talks about, what a healthy church looks like. And when I say a healthy church, I don't mean the church physical body. I mean the church people. You are that church people. There was a a pastor, this is a true story, who graduated from seminary. He was excited to go to his first church, and it was actually here in Oklahoma. Graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary, went to his first church here in Oklahoma, and whenever he got there, he had all these grandioso ideas of what his new church was going to look like. He knew the church was struggling. He knew there was only a handful of people. He knew that there were problems, but hey, he was a 27-year-old. He didn't care about the problems. He was excited. He was ready for his first calling. He gets there and he tries everything he can for the first two years. How do we get more people in the seats? How do we get more? How do we get the word out that we're in the town? How do we get all this stuff out? He did everything that he possibly could do. And one day, true story, he came to the conclusion, the conclusion, he said, the church has died. He said, what do I do? I've got a dead church. No one wants to be here. My messages are good. The worship's good. The few people that are here, some of them, they've been sitting in this seat for 37 years. Some of them are are good people. What do we do? He thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And finally, he came up with an idea. He went to the local newspaper. It was a small town. And he took out an ad for an obituary. He said, on Sunday... At 10 o'clock, and he named his church, this church died. We are going to be having a funeral service for this church next Sunday at 2.30 because the church is dead. He went and went throughout the week. Sunday morning rolled around, 10 o'clock service started, and guess what? The same five people were in the same five seats. He knew his church had died. After the few people left service that day, he began to get the funeral service ready. He gets a casket. He pulls it up to the front of the stage or the front of the auditorium. He gets flowers and drapes over, and he's having a funeral. True story. He goes, he leaves for the afternoon. He comes back. The the service is at 2.30. He shows up around 2 o'clock. To much of his amazement, the parking lot was full of people. There was people looking in the window of what was going on and to find out what did he mean by this church had died. 2.30 rolls around. He starts his service. He does a eulogy for the church. He tells the history of his church. He tells everything about a a normal funeral service. He prays for this dead church. He invites people to come up to the casket. And whenever he invites them to come up, and you know how you pay respects at a a a casket, you know you you walk by it. Before the first person walked up, he raised up one of the lids. He took the flowers off, raised the lid up, and whenever the first person walked by, they looked down and they jumped. And they kept going. Then the second person went, jumped, and they kept going. By the time the fifth or sixth person walked by, the pastor that afternoon put a mirror inside that casket. Whenever they walked by the casket, they saw a picture of themselves. 
He said the church has died. That is a very mean and offensive thing to do. But he got the point across of saying, you are the church. You are called by God to reach people, to lead people, to talk to people. You have a purpose in life, and it's not just to show up and do nothing, that God has a specific assignment for your life, and you have died because you've allowed everything and anything to stop you from doing what God has called you to do. Their church died. After everyone walked by the casket at the end of the service, everyone's sitting in their seats, he said, now next Sunday at 10 o'clock, the new church will be here. I want all of you here. The church was packed out. The church came alive when they saw they were the church that was supposed to function the way the church was created to function. Paul in Philippians 4, we've gone over the first three chapters the last Four weeks Today, we start Philippians chapter 4, part 1. Paul is showing us what a healthy church is supposed to look like. Let me preface this by saying, we are not a dysfunctional church, all right? I'm, I'm not talking to you all this morning saying, hey, you guys are dead. But I am saying there is a look, there is a presentation, there is a responsibility that we have as a church, and we're going to call this the healthy church, but really you can call it the healthy body. You can call it the healthy me, the healthy individual. You can call it whatever you want. But Paul shows us five things in this text that a healthy church is supposed to look like, which a healthy church is also a healthy believer. Let's look in your outline as Adrian reads Philippians 4, 1 through 4. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand fast, thus in the Lord, my beloved, exhortation, encouragement, and prayer, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help with these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. When we look at this text, there's an issue. There are these two women, Yodi and Sintek. Sintek, however you want to pronounce. How many of you even knew those were women's names? Yeah, I didn't think so. Yep, yep. Uh, I don't know how to pronounce them. I looked it up and I forgot. But... There's these two women, and Paul is talking to the church of Philippi, and what he's really doing is showing us what an unhealthy and a healthy church looks like, using these two women as examples. I want to give you five signs of a healthy church, and then after each point, I will show you in the text where I'm getting it from, so you just got to follow closely along. Number one, the healthy church, write down in your outline, you have to have a big heart. Write down a big heart. It's on the screens behind me at any given point in time. How do we show the love of God if we don't practice the love of God? As we finished last week on Philippians 3, we saw that Paul was teaching us that we are to imitate him in his walk, that we are agents of the kingdom of heaven, and as agents, we have a responsibility to share the love of God with those who are around us. When we share the love of God, I want you to understand this, we make an invisible God be made known. 
When you share the love of God, you make an invisible God where people say, I don't see your God, I don't know your God, that's why I will follow Buddha because they have a little statue that I can follow. Whenever you share the love of God, you are showing who God is in you. You are made in his image so that as you walk in what God has called you to walk in, you are showing them who God is. You follow that? When we share the love of God, we make an invisible, distant from some seemingly God to a very visible, to a very close, to a very real God that wants to have a relationship with you. So the question I want to propose from this first initial portion of this text is, when people see you, do they see God? When people see you, do they see God? If the world could see a community of nurturing and caring people, maybe lost people wouldn't be at a church that was dead. If we are going to have a healthy church, we have to have a big heart. We don't see people the way that we want to see them. We see them through the perspective of how God sees them. So it doesn't really matter what they've said, what they've done, how they act, what they're going on. With it, with exception, there's always rules, exception to the rules. We want to be careful there. But, but whenever you see people, you look at them and say, what does God want for you and how can I help you get to that place? So your past is not really relevant. These two ladies in the text here are causing a, a riff um, that I'll explain just here in a moment. And as they are causing a rift, Paul says in verse, verse 2, I put it in bold, exhortation. He, he's saying even whenever these two ladies are causing a rift, it's still our responsibility to exhort them to pray for them, to build them up, to encourage them, to love on them. Uh, You don't want to exhort people if you don't have a big heart for people. When someone's done you wrong, the last thing you want to do is exhort them and say positive things. You want to get down in the meat and get down in the fight with them and just jump on the bandwagon and say, you dirty dog, rotten scoundrel, and you want to just let them have it because that's our natural tendency, but a big heart is what Paul is telling us to have because these ladies were causing a riff, and Paul says, no, you got to exhort them. You've got to have a big heart for them. The second thing that I think Paul is trying to show us in this text is you have to have a firm stance. Write that down. Number two, a healthy church, a healthy believer, a healthy Christian, you have to have a firm stance. Paul is asking people to stand and to heal the division that's taking place in verse one. He uses the phrase, stand fast. It's bold in your uh, your outline. It's a military term that means don't lose lose ground. Stand in one place. If you throw dirt, you're the only one losing ground. I'll say it again for some of you didn't pick that up. If you throw dirt, you're the only one losing ground. Some of you get that later. Okay. Another way of saying this is we need spiritual stability. With a big-hearted love, we need to take a firm stance no matter what the situation is going on. I choose to follow Jesus. I will not go down the path of gossip or slander or backbiting or, or anything else. I will go down the path of a big heart, but I will have a firm stance Here's where you have a firm stance at, 
on your commitment to following Jesus. You can have a firm stance and be standing on the wrong mountain. Mm -hmm. You've got to have your firm stance on following and what looking like Jesus or becoming like Jesus, taking on the nature of what Jesus is to create <coughs> healing to the issue, not create division in the issue. Again, I'm going to talk to you a little bit more about what these girls are doing in a minute. Just laying some footwork here. The third sign of a healthy church is a warm embrace. A warm embrace. Paul knows, Paul says to help these women who have helped spread the gospel. We don't know a whole, whole lot of detail about these two women, but we do know that they were prominent. We do know that there was a quarrel between them, and both women had gathered a small group of people inside the church of Philippi to go against each other. Remember we talked about a while ago, some of you have been to a church where there's just kind of some nonsense going on. That's what Paul is referring to here. These two women come over here, they're in here, they're in a church just like this. It would be like Christy saying, hey, I'm going to take this side of the room and get all the women and we're, we're going against uh, Debbie in this side of the room and, and we're, we're going we're gonna to have a fight. I don't like her. She's wearing green. I think it doesn't look good. You shouldn't wear green on Sundays. And Christy's over here saying, well, no, I'm going to take all the women over here because we're better cooks and we're going to make better food. I'm just kidding. But, but there's this idea of division inside the church. And Paul is saying, you're not supposed to have division in the church. In fact, if you address this with a warm embrace, you can stop the division of the people that are trying to create this problem. And so now you have these two women who have created problems inside the church. And Paul, instead of coming to them saying, hey, you lazy, no good, rotten scoundrels, he's saying, hey, it's okay. We're just going to change some things. But we're going to love you. We're going to care about you. We're going to help you. We're not going to kick you out. We're not going to cause major issues. But I want you to know I've got a firm stance on what we're doing. How would you like to be known I don't, I don't know. Let's look at it this way. There's two women in the Bible. The only place they're mentioned in the Bible is right here. And for thousands of years later, they're known for their quarrelsome. I heard a pastor one day say, uh, what do you want to be remembered by on your epitaph? Is that what it's called? Headstone? He said, what, what do you want to be remembered by a hundred years from now? Start today living that out. These ladies will forever be known as the quarrelsome group in Philippi that were creating division inside the church. Is that how you want to be made known? And Paul is showing us you're majoring in the minors, things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of what doing what God has called us to do. You are focusing on something that is just irrelevant, so stop. Does that make sense? All right. So how do we show a warm embrace? Paul uses the last phrase that's in bold in your outline in the, in the red text. The Lord is at hand. Nope, 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 wrong one. I forgot to bold it. It's in verse 2. It says, uh, I will entreat Sintok to agree in the Lord. That's where we need to be. Paul uses the phrase, in the Lord. This is the solution to the problem. A warm embrace will be found when we take issues 
that these two women are dealing about, and, and, and instead of coming to say, this is what I want done, the answer is, what does the Lord want done in this situation? He took a fighting, nagging lady and another fighting, nagging lady and said, in the Lord, what are we supposed to be doing? What does God want in this situation? We put too much emphasis on my plan, on my agenda, on what I think is important, and we need to put our focus on what does God want this relationship to look like? What does God want in this situation? How is God responding to this? I, 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 I imagine that if we just change our perspective just a little bit and shift it to what do we want in the Lord versus what do we want in me, a lot of our problems might just go away. If we look at the situation and say, in the Lord, in the Lord, what's this supposed to look like in the Lord? What does my relationship look like in the Lord? What does this situation with my coworker look like in the Lord? I take me out of it and I invite God to be a part of it and say, I want what you want, God. And it changes the way we operate. The fourth sign of a healthy church, a merry soul. Write down a merry soul. If you're going to have a healthy church, you got to be a church that has fun. you got to have a church that has joy. This is the major theme of Philippians. If it's always down and drag, that's why we're having Wednesday night small group. We're going to have fun. We want to have fun in church. Church is supposed to be fun. There, there is some uh, correction inside church, but at the same time, there's some fun inside church. It should be fun when you come here and celebrate the living God and worship the living God. That should be fun, not a duty that i got to come in here and, oh, okay, do, 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 all this nonsense. Joy, in your outline, is a personal choice to react to life's uncertainties by faith. You can be experiencing pain and still have joy. The Bible says in Proverbs 15 that those who have a merry heart have a continual feast. How many of you like some food? Yeah, you want to have a continual feast. You want to eat the good food. If you have a merry heart, you can have a continual feast. But if you get sad and gloomy and doomy, your feasting goes to famine, and no one wants to be around famine and depressant melancholy, do they, Josh? <laughs> Number five. The fifth and final sign of a healthy church is you have to have a soft touch. <laughs> Write down a soft touch. There's no need to come running in and turning tables over and shaking your finger in people's faces and no need for that. Paul writes in Corinthians that a soft touch will change the outcome of a situation. I, as most of you know, I own a little business on the side and I did a job in October um, for a business that uh, was, how many stories was that building? Does that matter? 20-something stories. Um, a large building had flooded, and it was in the basement. And the basement was 300 feet long by 290 feet wide, and there was water eight feet tall. It was a, I don't know how many stories. It was an apartment complex in Tulsa, a high-rise. And... You couldn't get down in the water because it was in the boiler room with all the furnaces, with all electricity. So you can't get in the water to go do anything. But they called us out like at 9.30 at night or something. And we took out vans and sump pumps. And we were sump pumping water out for hours and hours and hours and hours. And just tens of thousands of gallons of water. 
Well, um, they didn't pay me. It was not a small invoice. It wasn't like 100 bucks where I'm like, oh, whatever, move on. It, 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 that's a lot of water to pull out, okay? <laughs> and I get, I get to pay, get charged by the gallon that they pull out. So big bill. They didn't pay the bill. So we were in Tulsa this last week, and it just happened to be that corporate is in Tulsa. And so I went and stopped by. I've sent several emails. Um, my system automatically sends emails every month saying, hey, the bill, the invoice, reminder, pay it, pay it. And then on my invoice, there's a late fee that's established after 30 days and then every 30 days thereafter and automatically adds all the stuff up. And it sends it out. And um, so I went in and talked to the guy at the front desk. Super nice. I said, hey, my name's Taylor. I own Clean Pros. We did a job for you guys back in October. Here's the invoice. And is it in your system? And I wanted to make sure that they got it first before the battle began. And um, it was in their system. I said, great. Does it look, does it, does it, does it say that uh, when it was? He's like, yeah, is it October 4th? I said, yeah, okay. Does it, does it say on there there's late fees accumulated every third day? Yeah, it says all that. Just making sure you got the same thing I got. Okay. And um, so I said, who do I talk to about getting this paid today? And he's like, whoa, okay. Let me, let me make a call. So he makes a phone call. This lady comes down the stairs, comes out. She is mad as mad. She comes out yelling at me. How dare you come into our office? She is letting me have it. We'll pay you whenever we say we can pay. Just, just letting me have it. And I just smile. I smile at her. I said, are you done? And she, what? what do you mean am I done? You're not supposed to be in this office. This is only for people who are vendor. Okay, whatever, whatever. I said, hey, hey, hey. That's all Jim Dandy, but... You got an invoice, you got to pay the invoice. There's really nothing secret about it. There's nothing like, there's no reason for you to come down here and get mad and get all squandery and start yelling at me. You don't know who I am. I've never even spoke with you before. So let's tone it down a little bit. Well, when I said that, that made her mad. And she's like, you're not going to tell me what I'm going to do in my office. I said, well, then I'm going to tell you you're going to pay the invoice. So it'll be a lien on your property and your other property that you have. Because I did some work over there, too. No, you're not going to. Just she went. So I smiled. By this time, my inside's kind of getting upset. <laughs> and I love to say that I was the perfect little Christian and, and didn't do it. No, actually, I was. Because I was writing this. And I sat there and was like, no, I'm going to soft touch this thing. Yeah, not what I wanted to do. And I smiled. I said, okay. I said, Let's, okay, we'll, we'll forget about all this. Um, tell me what's going on. Like, what's, what's the real issue, there, why you're not paying? There, there's got to be more to the story other than I'm just not going to pay this invoice. That just doesn't fly with me. And she began to talk. Her tone started coming down. She began to get a little more mellow, not so haughty, not so argumentative. We began to tell stories, and I got her laughing, and, and we were having a good time, and this lady who came down fuming mad, and about, you guys were out in the car for how long? How long did that take me? 25 minutes. 25 minutes? It took me a while to get her calmed down. Uh, after about 25 minutes, whenever I left, my invoice was approved, and they're going to send a check. It wasn't going to happen. The original was, we will pay you whenever we good and well want to pay you, and we have no intentions of paying this invoice. But a soft touch changed the outcome of a situation. I, oh, can I tell you one more? I forgot. While we were, while we were in Tulsa, we went and stayed at a B&B. &B. You guys ever done a B&B? &B? Airbnb. Airbnb, sorry. 
-hmm. Read the reviews. They matter, okay? Um, we went to this, this Airbnb, and it was nice. It was a house in 61st and Sheridan, which is a nice part of Tulsa. And we were like, oh, this is going to be great. We pull up to it, and the grass is all green and lush. I'm like, I did good. Because she said, let's stay in the hotel. I'm like, no, we took our dog. No, let's do this. It'll be fun. So I pull up. I'm like, oh, look how good I did. And we go inside. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> The, you, you already heard about it? Oh, no. Oh, no. So we go inside, and Abigail and Matthew, like, Abigail's, like, ultra positive. And she walks in there, and she just stops. Dad, we can make this work. I'm like, oh, no. Like, she's even feeling what, I'm, what I just did. And we go into the back. There's a sunroom with, like, a hot tub and stuff. And Matthew, for some odd reason, like, just because he's five and that's what he does, he pulled open the drawer of this desk, and there's cockroaches inside this desk drawer. I'm like, no. And then Maggie runs right over to a spot on the carpet, and there's dog feces sitting there. I'm like, oh, no. And then we start looking around, and there's all these just, I'm not going to say what they were, trinkets of ungodly things, of just things. And, and the smell was terrible. And have you ever gone into like a, I'm going to say, excuse me for saying this, but you, you went into your great-grandparents' house, and it had that smell, that odor of old people. Should I say that? Can I, and and, and it's too late now. And, and I, it smelled like my, great, my, my grandparents' house. Like, you go in there, you love them, but they've been in the same house for 90 years, and nothing's changed, and they don't believe in modern-day air filters and stuff. And, like, the house just smells. And so uh, we walk around, and, like, no one's going out to the truck to bring in any luggage. Like, no, it's like an unspoken thing. We're all just kind of like, we can make this work. This is going to be good. And finally, I was like, I can't do this. I'm sorry. Let's go to the hotel. We went to the Doubletree, booked the hotel, stayed there. And whenever they called me, and I, I called the Airbnb to be like, hey, I've got some pictures here. I've got, I, I wish I had, like, one of those smellinizer guns, because if you smelled it, you would never allow anyone to rent this place out on Airbnb. Airbnb, and then I started going back and looking at the reviews, and sure enough, a lot of people comment on the odor and stuff and the trinkets in the house, but a soft touch. They call me, Airbnb calls me, and says, hey, we want to make this right, and we will refund a portion of your thing, and I said, hey, that's great. I appreciate that, but we need to refund the whole thing because this, is, this isn't living conditions. Like, if it was like, hey, my fault, like I booked two, or if it's preference, that's me, I get that, but this, this is the day of, this, I can't, I can't let my kids be here, like, I can't do this, and he was like, okay, great, um, no problem, we'll refund it all, and uh, he's like, are you going to leave us, uh, what was his name, R R Rolo or something, something like that, he wasn't from here, and uh, he's like, are you going to leave us a bad review, and I said, no, like, no, I'm not going to leave you a bad review, like, I don't care, like, I'm not going to go, I own a business, I know what it's like, I'm, uh, it's, it is what it is, but you just tell the people who own the home, like, they need to address a couple of issues. He said, okay, okay. Um, the, the next day I get a phone call, and he said, oh, for your trouble, we want to reimburse you for three nights at your new hotel. Mm -hmm. Heck yeah. I know. A soft touch got us three free nights at the Dub Tree. <laughs> Living large in Tulsa. But what happened was if I would have called him, griping, oh my gosh, can you believe this is the environment that you put me in? He would have done nothing to help us. But whenever I called and said, hey, no, it's no big deal. Life happens, but this isn't good. A soft touch became a, a financial blessing to us. 
Because the double tree is 199 a night. And when you have a dog and you got to pay for parking and your wife likes room service, it starts adding up. <laughs> Adrian has taught me over 14 years, kill him with kindness. Sometimes I just want to kill him. <laughs> but I'm getting better, am I not? You are. I'm a work in yeah. progress. How many of you are work in progress? Yeah. yeah, yeah, okay, all right. But... In, in the final verse here in verse 4, Paul says, the Lord is at hand. This is the key takeaway from this chunk of scripture that we need to always remember that God is present, that God is among you, that we are to be gentle because the Lord is present with you. You are an agent of heaven and you represent who God is. So therefore, our goal needs to be to take on the nature of Christ. And to take on the nature of Christ, five elements, a big heart. Because how many of you need a big heart at times shown to you? A firm stance. My dad's always taught us others may, I may not. My firm stance, I will make. A warm embrace, you need to feel love. You need to feel accepted. A merry soul. Be happy. Don't be all glad. Don't be all sad and gloomy. Um, uh, who, who was that guy who, Nancy's redhead guy? I don't remember his name. If you're watching, I apologize, but you were fantastic. And one of the things that he said, he's like, we were at my Aunt Nancy's conference this last week, and he said, Nancy has a rule. If you're not fun, you can't be in her inner circle. Chris Hodges, the pastor of Church of the Highlands, he's, he says the same thing. He said, my inner circle, if you can't make me laugh at least once whenever you're in my environment, you won't be in my environment tomorrow. <laughs> I want people who are joyful around me. I don't like getting around people and they start just talking negative. They start talking, nah, nah, nah. I got to unload. Here's 15 years of what's going. Shut up. Get over it. got to have a soft touch. Thank you for tuning in today. For more content like this, visit our website, www.pathwaychurchok.com to see the variety of ways you can download this content and so much more. It's our pleasure that you would tune in, and we believe that if you take the content you just heard, write down the parts that spoke to you, and work on a plan to apply it, you will not be the same person a year from now. We hope today you can take this content, apply it, share it, let it change you, and you can become all God has called you to become. Thank you again for tuning in. We'll be together again soon. Until then, keep growing.